welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the nerd party's show where we take a look at all the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released on July 29th, 1994. July 29th, 1994, we are most of the way through the summer movie season, more than most of the way at this point, because August is sort of the drop-dead zone. So here we go. This is the last gasp for box office success in the summer season. I think next week might be the last gasp, but yeah. Oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, you're right. but we're, we're coming up on it, and uh, yeah, it's amazing how time flies. But yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, five movies this week. Five movies. Yes. The first one was very small, didn't end up on the charts. Got a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Foreign Student. This is a movie about a guy from France who comes to America to study, and he ends up in, like, I guess the South, and uh, he falls in love with a black American girl and all of his, you know, white American buddies are like, you can't do that because it's like 1950 or something like that. Right, right. And uh, then it goes from there. Did you watch this? I did not. I did not. I saw that it was available on Amazon Prime, but um, didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, it didn't look too bad, although 50%. It's not stellar. It's a coin flip. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you can go e- either way with it. Yeah. All right. Next up, number 14 at the box office with $0.2 million. And uh, the winner in terms of the, the critical reception with 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, Barcelona. This is a movie by Whit Stillman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe there is kind of a trilogy Right, like Manhattan, this, and Last Days of Disco. I think that was kind of like an unofficial trilogy. Oh, like a theme trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had seen Last Days of Disco in the theater, but I haven't seen anything else. And I, I wanted to see this, but I didn't. Did you see it? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. Uh, I think it, it, there, there was sort of a challenge uh, with... Um, I always go over to Decider... And sometimes where they list things to be is accurate and sometimes not. And I just had difficulty, enough difficulty that I, I went with a, uh, a much easier to walk path this yeah. week. Yeah. The, the Apple TV app is usually pretty good, at least with oh, like yeah. streaming services that you have if you like type in a title. Oh, like, okay. Like my title this week, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to rent it. And then I typed it into the app and it's like, oh, it's on HBO now. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, well, I'm going to have to start doing that then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's pretty good. So, number three, at, well, not, well, number three of the week, which was number 10 at the box office, 
with $2.3 million and an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Black Beauty. Yes, which is a horse movie. Yeah. Is this a remake? I've wondered that. As I recall, no. This is not a remake, but I could be completely wrong about that. Maybe there's another one called like Black Stallion or something there, like there that. There was the Black Stallion, but that okay. was like late 70s, early 80s sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with Black Beauty, apparently, which is the movie that came out this week in 1994. Yeah. Uh, but they're both about horses. Yeah. I just, I cannot bring myself to care at all. I, on occasion, I'll watch, you know, like an animal focused movie like i i know that the art of racing in the rain is coming out in the not too distant future and that book is incredible so i have to give that movie a shot but yeah like horse or horse on the beach movies are sort of i don't know that's not my bag yeah puppies kittens those i I can deal with those i mean horses are majestic creatures like you know but (laughs) the thing is like uh, this is unfair, but I would point to Seabiscuit, where it's where that's another terrific book. But when you're watching a movie about magical horse racing and stuff, it just doesn't. It's just not a you know sport, for lack of a better term, that translates well to the screen. Like baseball is very filmable, football is very filmable, horse racing is not by its nature terribly compelling. Yes, Seabiscuit's really bad. But, uh, but I wouldn't say really bad, but it's not particularly good. It's pretty bad, but the, the audio <laughs> commentary on the DVD has Steven Soderbergh on it, so worth a listen. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Number two for the week, which is number six at the box office with $12 million. That's a pretty sizable a, gross. Yeah, decent haul. And a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. It could happen to you. Yes, which was available for free on the Crackle Network. Ah, there you go. So, although I I have to lodge a complaint about where they place the commercials on the Crackle Network. It's probably similar to where we place our ads on the Nerd Party Network, right? No, no. (laughs) It might be the way the ads sometimes appear on this show when I, I don't know, fat finger something, but... um, it's literally, it'll be in the middle of a sentence. Mm. You know, it'll, it'll be in a scene and somebody will be saying, well, did you see the... And then an ad plays and then the back half of their sentence comes on after the ad. It's a very, very disruptive experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. So so this movie, uh, it sounds like both of us saw this in the theater back in the day. Yes, indeed. I did see this in the theater. Yeah. yeah. I did too. So what was your... Yeah. your experience with it what was your reasoning behind going to see it could happen to you in the theater uh liking nicholas cage and by the way this is the second nicholas cage movie of 1994 for us yeah because uh there were deadfall earlier this year yes very different performance i'll point out <laughs> um but uh, <laughs> uh yeah I, it was simply because i like rom-coms and uh, Nicolas Cage was a name I was familiar with, and I had a tremendous crush on Bridget Fonda. So those three factors line up. And I'm like, okay, I'll go see it. And I really liked it at the time. Saw it with my friend Joey. But what was your reasoning for seeing it could happen to you? 
back in the day? I don't really remember. The only thing that I remember is like I saw it with my cousin, the same cousin that I saw Forrest Gump with, and okay. it was playing at our local movie theater, which I would later uh, project at. And there was just, for whatever reason, it was like, okay, we can walk here, we can go see this movie. It's rated PG, so that's not an issue, and uh, why not? And yeah, we went to see it, and I remember thinking it was good, but it is a very strange movie for like a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old to just go randomly see on a weekday afternoon. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it kind of <laughs> is. It kind of is. But, yeah. what? I mean, did you like it? You, you liked it, right? It I remember liking it, yeah. yeah. It's entertaining. I uh, I wanted to go back to it because in specific uh, romantic comedies and comedies in general i think have the hardest time aging well and so i was curious would i have a positive opinion of it again and i did i think that it's it was like a breath of fresh air to watch a movie about two genuinely decent people doing genuinely good things with no ulterior motive they weren't doing it for x y or z they were doing it just because it was the right thing to do. And I actually got very, um, like, it resonated emotionally because there's a scene where they they just, they spend a ton of money and they just decide, you know what? They bought subway tokens for everybody. Ride the New York subway for free this time. Go home for free instead of having to buy a token. And taking the neighborhood kids not to go play against the Yankees or anything absurd like that. But go in on an off day for the park and the kids can run around on the field and play their own baseball game and have a good time. And it was it's really the chemistry between Fonda and Cage works for all I know. They hated each other off camera, but it worked. I believed in them falling in love. Uh, Seymour Castle's in it. Um, Red Buttons is in it. And so, you know, there's this great Stanley Tucci is in it. And they're, they all play these great characters that are a lot of fun to watch and stuff like that. And, and in some sense, the movie acts as a, you know, like a little love poem to the nature of New York City itself. And, um, you know, I think it just works on a lot of levels. There's, there's this thing that, that happens every time a White Sox player hits a home run where they say, with that home run... White Sox Charities receives $10,000 from the Alex Snellius family in loving memory of Ursula. Okay. So after hearing this for like a decade, I was like, who's Alex Snellius? And I Googled him and I came across this like in-depth like article about how Alex Snellius was like an immigrant truck driver who came to, you know, like the south side of Chicago, uh, worked, you know, super hard his entire life, and then won $60 million in the lottery. And was like, oh, this is great. You know, like, I don't have to work again. I guess I'm supposed to move to the rich neighborhood. And, you know, he did that. And, like, everyone there rejected him. Like, he didn't earn his money, even though, like, yeah. he probably worked harder than any of them had in their entire lives, you know? Like, that type of thing. His kids 
were like, oh, you know, give me that money so I can start this thing and this thing. And, you know, they just kind of like spiraled into whatever. And, you know, like his wife would just like give money to everyone, like especially like the church and everything like that. She would just give Mm -hmm. money. And it got to the point where like people would come to them and be like, where's my check? And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, why do you think that we're just going to give you money every every whatever? And the, the whole thing with him, like, giving the money to the White Sox is because his his wife was, like, the biggest White Sox fan in the, in the world. And then she died, like, the year before they won the World Series and everything like oh, that. Oh, man. And, like... It it's just like this kind of heartbreaking story of like this guy who is like a genuinely good guy who wins the lottery and in a lot of ways it kind of destroyed his life, you know? Yeah. I mean he's he's like he's like I basically gave half of it away because there's no way that I could ever spend it all in my entire life. But yeah. when you do that, like people they're not just gracious like they expect it and it's Mm -hmm. weird it's weird what it does to other people not just you you know there there was a there was a relatively recent i forget what state it was in but um there was a big legal fight because the person won the lottery and then the lottery commission wanted them to do the big dog and pony show in front of the cameras and the person was basically refusing and saying no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, we won't pay you your money if you don't do it because we want the PR. And I, if I recall correctly, there was some sort of court battle where the person was like, no, I won the money. You don't have the right to put a demand like that on me. I want to be anonymous because I've seen what happens to people when people find out that they have millions of dollars. I don't want anybody to know who I am. Yeah. And there, yeah, it was like a big fight about, you know, do you have the right to remain anonymous? Yeah. I mean, you think you would. I don't know. It's weird. I've never run won anything more than like ten bucks from the lottery, but I basically never play it. But like my uncle was telling me that he won like a thousand dollars or something like that. And when it gets to like a certain point, they like make you go to you know the mm-hmm. whatever to the office to pick it up. And they, they he's like, it doesn't. You can't just like walk in and get it. Like you gotta go and you gotta wait. Because they do background checks, they make sure that you don't owe the state any money, that you mm-hmm. don't owe anybody like child support or anything like that. Like you have to go through like a whole thing before you can get the money. He's like, it takes a couple hours. He's like, it's worth a thousand bucks, but it takes a couple hours to get your money. You know? Yeah, it's weird. I'd probably go in with like a disguise on, <laughs> just so nobody knew. Yeah, yeah. I guess I got to start playing the lottery so I can test my theories whether I can do that. So Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, it could happen to you, right? That's right, that's right. All right, well, speaking of uh, comedy and how well it ages, uh, the number one movie at the box office this week with $37.1 million, that's a substantial amount, mm-hmm. and a 77% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a good week for movies. Not a single movie below 50%, right? Yeah, that is good. That's better than the average we've been encountering. Definitely. The Mask. Smokin'. Yes. Um, Did you see this when it was in the theater? It was required by law, I think. (laughs) 
If you were if you were a a, uh, a male between the ages of uh, twelve and five hundred, I think you were required to make an effort at least to go see the mask in theaters. Yeah, I guess I'm just breaking the law, but <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, did you rewatch it for this or or not? I didn't okay. because I remember at the time I was not. I I liked it plenty fine, but I wasn't enamored of it. I was that guy that was like, yeah, it's okay. You know, everybody else was, you know, smoking. Somebody stop me. Everybody's <laughs> quoting it left and right. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. That's fine. And everybody talked about Cameron Diaz because mm-hmm. this, that was her big break and everything. Although I remember a really catty, terrible thing that Entertain- Entertainment Weekly wrote. Because I read Entertainment Weekly back then. Yeah. So my brother had my brother had a subscription, so I stole it from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember reading because somebody had like their top ten hot sheet or something like that. And one of the things was a dig at Cameron Diaz because uh, the line was everybody keeps talking about how well uh, Cameron Diaz in the mask can and put act in quotes. Uh, and then the follow-up sentence was, like, she beat Kathy Bates out for the part. I was like, that's really mean, guys. Like, let her enjoy her moment, man. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. There well, you go. Time definitely told with that one, right? I mean, geez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, I remember that. God, I remember when this movie came out. I mean, I remember everyone going crazy over it. And I remember thinking, like, boy, this Jim Carrey guy is not for me. I am not going to go see this <laughs> this thing. And like it was because it was a comic book movie because it was Dark Horse and Dark Horse was, you know, publishing Star Wars comics. Like oh, it, yeah. it was on the back. I mean, I was just getting super hardcore into that. So it was on the back of every single comic book that I bought, you know, and then, you know, all of the visual effects magazines and everything. The very first issue of Cinescape, which I have, you know, that was on the cover of that, you know, like along with, you know, it was all like mixed in with the Star Trek generation stuff, which was coming up, you know, like the amazing visual effects and blah, 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 you know. So I was super aware of it, super aware that everyone was in love with this, you know, and and surely, yes, I I even, even though I never saw the movie, I, I do vividly remember Cameron Diaz's presence because course her pictures and all those magazines too and i was like oh wow maybe i should yeah. see the mask uh, but <laughs> apparently uh, uh not enough to actually watch it and then here's the weirdest thing the my weirdest mask experience up until now having never seen it the day that it came out on video i went to best buy randomly and as i was walking out like they had like a big display and it's like on sale like 10.99 or something like that you know limit three because i guess people were buying a ton of copies of this i don't know why but that's how big this movie was right yeah and as i'm walking out of best buy this and i'm and i'm 15 years old right Security guard stops me and says, "Hey kid, uh, y- you want to make ten bucks?" And I'm like, 
no you know i mean like i mean <laughs> that's super yeah. shady right yeah and he's like look i i need two copies of the mask i need one for me and one for my little cousin and you know i i can't buy it they're not letting employees buy the movie because there's such a high demand for it but it's on sale here so if you buy the movies for me i'll give you 10 bucks and I'm like, this, I mean, I didn't want to say to him, like, why don't you just go across the street to Circuit City where you can get it for, like, the exact same price? Like, this doesn't make it. He's buying these because they're on sale, but he's willing to pay an extra 10 bucks for this? Like, this does not make any sense at all. Like, the whole time I'm like, something is going at, something's weird here. Yeah. But very uncharacteristic of me. I, I said, okay. And I he gave me the money. I went in and I bought the two videotapes and when I was up at the cashier like buying the tapes I was short he didn't give me enough money <laughs> and I'm like uh, I don't know what to do now and then he comes over and he's like oh here 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 and he gives me like an extra five bucks and the cashier's like, are you buying these tapes? And he's like, no, 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 no. This is just, this is just uh, a friend of mine's, you know, brother. And he doesn't, you know, have enough money. So I was just, you know, helping him out. And the cashier's wow. like, okay, if you say so. And then, like, sold me the tapes. I go outside. And then he meets me outside. And he's like, oh, my God, that was a close one. And then he gives me 10 bucks. And that's it. That was it. Why couldn't one of his relatives come in and get it? I don't know. None of it makes any sense. That is weird, man. It doesn't. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that it was just like a mask videotape, I would have been like, is this some sort of sting operation? Like, (laughs) what's going on? You know, it made no sense at all. I just can't imagine putting your livelihood on the line for the mask. I can't make sense. I can't either, especially since you could literally get it for less money across the street. Yeah. Uh, so, so okay. So this is the the continuing snowball of Jim Carrey going down the mountain. Yeah. Starting the avalanche. Yeah. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Uh huh. Then the Mask in quick succession. He's got two number one, right? Big hit boffo movies, and you watched the Mask this week. I did. And. It was really bad. Um, (laughs) I went into it completely open-minded. I saw that 77%. I saw the the Cameron Diaz. Thing starts up, and I'm like, photography is pretty nice. It was shot by John R. Leonetti, who's, um, I think he's done some, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he did Too Fast, Too Furious. It might have been his brother, but whatever. And... uh, uh, then, like, you look at the credits, it's like story by Mark Verheiden, yep. who, you know, wrote the Aliens comics back in the 80s and then went on to uh, write the single best episode in television history, Crossroads Part 2 uh, from Battlestar Galactica, uh, is now, well, maybe not anymore, but was... Uh, the showrunner on the Swamp Thing show uh, on the DC uh, app and everything like that. So I'm yeah. like, all right, this is going to be good. And boy, it was not good. It was just, the t- <laughs> I don't know. I mean, 
I don't know what people find to be funny about Jim Carrey in, in this. I mean, like, yes, later on, you know, you look at the stuff that he's doing and some more sophisticated stuff. And yeah, you know, like Batman Forever. Batman Forever, I mean, he, to me, is the weak link of that movie. Well, maybe Tommy Lee Jones is the weaker link, but that's just kind of like, I think, him trying to one-up Jim Carrey, which is which doesn't is. make any yeah. sense. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, certainly he's a weak link in that movie. And and I was really, really not looking forward to his involvement in that, you know, back then. But, I mean, now, you know, like Eternal Sunshine and, and all that stuff. I mean, he's a legit, you know, man on the moon and everything. But, yeah. boy, you look at this thing and it's just like, what's going on? There's nothing about this which is funny at all. It's just it, You know, I... I kind of share your puzzlement about why it was so damn popular because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. All I can guess is that he was, I mean, I remember this much. He was so different. He was so madcap energy that he was the reason that people were watching in living color. People say, oh, look at this guy. He was doing Fire Marshal Bill. He was doing uh, Vera DeMilo. And he was just, um, everybody was like, this guy's crazy. He's just all over the board. So I think that it's just sort of like a Jim Carrey fever thing sort of carried through. I mean, I don't recall actively disliking it. I just didn't love it. It was, you know, it was all right. Like, it shouldn't be a Jim Carrey vehicle. Like, the structure of the story doesn't necessarily support his antics per se i mean the story for for whatever it is i think probably does you know i mean it's it's very sort of like formulaic sort of like i mean it is kind of like batman forever in a lot of ways you know in, in that it's the sort of like amped up comic book reality sort of thing but yeah i it's pretty thin okay fair enough Jim Carrey's pretty thin too. Yes, he is. He is. Yeah. Um, it is strange to me though that like considering what a massive success this is, I mean, maybe Carrey didn't want to do another one or whatever, but yeah. the idea that like the only other mask movie that we had was, you know, Son of the Mask with, you know, Jamie Kennedy or whoever it was. That's a yeah. little weird, you know? That was a little weird. I think that one was in development hell for a little while, though, wasn't it? Probably. There was a yeah. cartoon, too. I remember that. Um, yeah. Uh, super weird. Super weird movie. I don't get it. I think that overall I made the right choice because um, in, a, in a perfect world, I think It Could Happen to You would have been the number one movie because it's just about, like I said, decent people doing good things. It's like, we need more of that, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it certainly, it, it was better than The Mask, I, I know that for sure. <laughs> um, I, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe Barcelona is the one that we should have watched, but, uh, yeah, you know, probably it is what it is. All right, so next week, there were four movies, uh, two released on August 3rd and two released on August 5th. These Wednesday openings are just all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So the August 3rd movies were Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and Clear and Present Danger. Mm -hmm. And the August 5th movies were Airheads, 
and the Little Rascals. Yeah. So lots to choose from next week. Can you guess which one I went to see on my birthday? I, I'm going to say Clear and Present Danger. You're damn straight. They released a Harrison Ford movie two years in a row right before my birthday. I, actually, 93 was The Fugitive. Mm. Yes. Or was that 92? 93. 93. And that was released on August 6th. And I remember because I was all giddy and happy. I'm probably, it was probably the fifth or something, but I just remember it was, that was the one where I was like, oh, it's perfectly released. And then another Harrison Ford movie a year later. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like I was, this was a good trend forming for me here. I was like Han Solo showing up in movies all the time. So your birthday is August 6th? It is. Yeah, it is. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. See, yeah. I always get crap movies on my birthday because it's at the end of January, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, yeah. uh, I think the best I ever got was like a most violent year and like Ooh. black hat or something like that. Okay. A most violent year. That's, I think that's a damn good movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty solid yeah. stuff. But you know, usually, I mean, I guess you could say I got, well, there was one year where I got the star Wars special edition, which people could say is a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, I'd say it's a good thing, but whatever. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. So yeah. anyway. Uh, until next week, John, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, my name is Kessel Junkie online. Look for me, uh, over on Letterboxd, uh, lurking on Twitter. And you can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. And where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, and maybe by the time this comes out on Trek.fm, doing a show called Tracks on the Line, where we take a look at uh, Picard episodes and provide audio commentary for them. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, we'll be back, and until then, be kind, rewind. Rewind.